Good morning. I admit I have not recovered. Still have a salsa coma from last night. And I don't mean the dancing kind. The salsa was amazing. Enchiladas, it was such a great night. Last night we had the Mexico fundraising dinner. Uh, enchiladas, Lula and Lucia came up and, and made them with our food service team and... Uh, 8,400, and those are just the ones that Brent ate. <laughs> so, hey, uh, I want to take a, a minute, because it is kind of a mission weekend for us uh, in some ways, I want to take a minute and let Jan come up and talk just for a second, and then introduce our guest for the morning. Yes, I just want to thank you again for the incredible support that we had last night. It was, it was just unbelievable and fantastic. And one of the greatest things for me is the fact that we're not a gigantic church, but you guys have a gigantic heart. And you've got a heart to get out there and to help people. And that's the thing that I've had the privilege of doing for a number of years with Dennis Hollenbeck. Um, I met him quite some time ago in Mexico, and Dennis has got just a great heart to be out there and to help people in whatever way he can. And he's going to share some super exciting things with you. We're going to watch a short video of one of the many things that Dennis has got his hands in. And then Dennis Hollenbeck is going to come on up and he's going to talk to us. So if you guys want to pay a little bit of attention up there, that would be great. Thank you. Wow, it's exciting to be here. Um, it's uh, one of those things that I've uh, been looking forward to for a long time. And uh, actually, we've been out traveling. My, my co-driver's not here this morning. She's in, actually in Anaheim right now being grandma before she heads home tomorrow. And I will follow her next week and go home. And so we've been up in the Oregon area, spent some time in Redding. Here this weekend, tomorrow morning, I leave for Las Vegas and we'll be there getting ready to help out for the, for the Mint 400. So we're not racing, we're going to be there helping another team. But uh, it's been an exciting beginning of the year. Um, earlier we had an opportunity to go to DIRT, which is an event put on by Hume Lake Christian Conference Center, and uh, got a, an opportunity to do some speaking there. So it's, it's been a busy few weeks, and it's not, it's not slowing down either. Um, not too long before I came... We also had to make some decisions within our organization, and uh, so I guess I guess now I'm, I'm okay to say officially I became the director slash president of Real Life Ministries, and so it's 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 talking. <laughs> I think you can clap. <laughs> We're talking. I was talking with uh, Nick Dravek about how full the plate is. And it's like, you know, where do I, where do I pile this? Where, how do I put it on there? And I guess it's like putting gravy on French fries. You just got to kind of let it pile it on, just kind of let it ooze in with everything. So it was real exciting uh, to have Jan and Scott to invite me here. And a little bit of pressure because usually if, if I'm asked to come speak, usually that's because the pastor's off fishing or off at a bed and breakfast place somewhere, but he's right here in the front row. So. <laughs> A little bit of pressure. And um, so um, another part was, was very exciting 
was, you know, generally you, you go and, you know, how much time do I have? Uh, what would you like me to speak on? Because uh, I don't want to, you know, come here and, and get off on some wild tangent that you guys are like, no, don't, don't, don't go there. Is um, she said, no, we, we want you to come and, you know, be a part of the, the auction and come and enjoy it, which I'm taking Debbie home a little Pete's uh, tea set. So it'll be awesome. And I got some movie tickets. And someone did a very special thing. I'm going home with four bottles of wine, so awesome. And so it, you know, I got to tell you guys, I've been to a couple fundraisers at some other churches, and you guys, you guys go big and you don't go home. So <laughs> it was awesome. It was great. It was fantastic. And uh, Lula there making enchiladas. Imagine getting to eat like that all summer long. Imagine that. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a real blessing. Um, so they asked me to come and, and talk to you about something that's become uh, a, a big passion in my life, a big part of my life, a big headache in my life, and that is come and talk about racing and why you race. Because you see a lot of people, when they, when they come down and they see that or they simply just hear about it, it's, it's very confusing because it, it's kind of not your normal thing that you involve ministry because one thing people don't realize is the race team is a part of real-life ministries. I mean, I had to go to the board of directors and get approval for it. Um, it. It had to go through a number of steps until it became an official part of ministry with real-life ministries. So it's, it's an official part of the ministry. Um, it's a very easy thing to explain why we race, but yet it's also kind of complicated as far as why we race. And I was thinking that I should, I should give you some, a, little, a few numbers about racing, about our team, and which, by the way, uh, the name of our team, if, if you didn't notice, is Team H12-1. And we're going to cover what that means a little bit later. Um, but... We're on our sixth year of racing. We'll be doing three, maybe four races this year. And as of now, we've participated in all these races, mostly down in, in Baja, California, um, 19 races. Uh, we've raced over 8,500 miles. We've had eight podium finishes. And we've been three overall point championship podiums, in which one of those was a championship season. And then not to mention our experience, incredible experience, uh, being a featured team in the movie uh, Dust to Glory, which was just beyond words. That was just a, a huge blessing. Um, my interest in racing actually started, started kind of young, you know, because like any, any kid, well, I shouldn't say any kid, but I know this kid, you know, loved his cars. Uh, from going to the Grant's Drugstore, which I know probably know very few remember Grant's Drugstore, and buying that Matchbox car to, you know, getting Hot Wheel sets, building models, and then eventually someday sitting down in my own home watching racing. Uh, my dad used to take me to races when I was a kid. And so there was just this, this love with, with auto racing. And it was just... It was just fantastic. I just love the roar of the engines, um, the smell of the, the fuel burning. Just everything about it was, was very intriguing to me. Um, 
the the part I also remember about the racing was when we moved to Baja, California, I realized that watching racing on TV was, was no more. It was, was ending uh, because we just didn't have the, the availability to watch it. And so I find myself in Valle de Guadalupe visiting some friends, and we stroll down to the riverbed to watch the, I believe it was the, might have been the Baja 500 or 1000. I don't remember exactly which race. And find myself standing there in this riverbed with these race cars zinging by. And there's nobody there to tell me, you can't stand here, you can't stand there. There's no, no guards, no partitions, nothing. And I'm going, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is like racing like, like most people never see racing. And so we became avid off-road fans. Uh, we went from just going from the day to watch the race to it became a whole weekend event. We had maps, and we'd go and check out different places to watch it. So we just became very big um, off-road fans. And it was a family event. It was a event that we invited our friends and um, just a big, a big part of our life. Um, then I decided to go out and buy a Volkswagen Bug. And most of my life I've been like, you know, ooh, muscle car, you know. And then I'm sitting there, sitting in a little Volkswagen, you know. But I found out early in purchasing this Volkswagen that Volkswagen bugs kind of had like this, like kind of like a little cult following. Like people had a different respect for the Volkswagen Beetle. And that came to me, that realization, when a black BMW convertible, pull, and that, we're not even talking, it's not even the race car yet. It's just this beige Volkswagen that you would drive to the store to buy a carton of eggs, which as a matter of fact, this bug belonged to a lifeguard, and he drove it from Walnut, California to Huntington Beach three days a week as to do his lifeguard duty. So I'm sitting there at the intersection, and up pulls this black BMW, and I'm kind of sitting there, and you have that feeling like someone's staring at you, and I kind of like slowly look over. And there's this guy in his black BMW. He's got his girlfriend or wife with him, and she's got her glasses and everything, and he looks over, and he shakes his head and just says, and the girlfriend's just going, oh, man. So, and I was going, wow, you know, it's just a Volkswagen Beetle. And we had to do some changes with it and make some changes. And somebody asked me a question, hey, why don't we, why don't we take this and turn it into a, a class 11 race car and, and race it? And I'm thinking, wow, that'd be awesome. What's a class 11 <laughs> I, I, I didn't know myself too much what a, what a class 11 was. And so started the journey of this whole thing about racing and educating and getting to know what is a class 11. Um, but, you know, there's, like I said, it's something that's very easy to explain, but yet it's also very complicated in explaining racing. Um, why do we race? Well, a big part of why we race is, is to win. And I know today in, in a lot of what we see in culture sometimes is that is, that is looked at as, as a kind of a selfish 
attitude or selfish way to look at things. Is that, is that all that's important is just that you win? It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's, a big, that's a big part of it. And especially in a culture today where a lot of people say, you know, you hear a lot, especially, you know, because you don't want to break any hearts. So with a lot of kids, it's like, don't worry, kids. Everybody is a winner. Even if you come in last place, hey, you know, you're a winner too. You're just like the guy in first place. But the guy in first place is, no, I worked really hard to get here on the podium, getting that first place. I was talking to, again, you know, me and Nick had some good talks that were in, you know, that old saying or part of it is, you know, there's first place, and then what's second place? The first loser. Right, exactly, you know. And believe me, if, if anyone understands losing and some of that, it's, it's me. We've, we've experienced a lot of it. Um, this shirt that I'm wearing has a, a little story about winning and about losing because, you know, I bought this shirt, and no, I'm not a Volkswagen salesman, so I'm not up here to sell you anything. Um, and I bought this shirt, and I put it on and found myself within a crowd of people. And still, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It's like I looked down, and I saw this, 1,000 miles and at this time, I hadn't raced a 1,000 miles. And I felt like I, I shouldn't even be wearing this shirt. I haven't, even, I haven't even got there yet. I haven't gained that type of respect to wear a shirt that says 1,000 miles on it. Um, so the losing part, yes, at times has been very difficult. And, you know, we got to the point where we are ready for our first race and you show up and you've got this car that's just beautiful and not a scratch, not a dent, everything is shiny and you're going, wow, we're going we're gonna to win, you know, and, and the big reason why is, well, God's on our side, you know, we're a Christian race team, we're, we've, we've got this, you know, and the big race, 880 miles, 69 miles into the race, our, our transmission gives out and blows up. And I'm just like, this can't be happening. You know, it was, it's not supposed to happen. And there was nothing like getting on that radio and, and calling the weatherman, who the guy kind of directs all the communications, and saying, yeah, this 1121, um, we're out of the race. And on the, on the west side, I was on the east side in the desert end, and Debbie's on the west coast with the, the team, you know, a couple cars lined up in the van and on their way to the first one of the driver switch points. And they're all in there like having a party because we're in a race. And all of a sudden they hear on the radio and it's like, wait, what, what, what was that on the radio? Something about our card, 1121. And they, everyone gets quiet and they turn the radio up and they hear that, you know, 1121 is announced. They're officially out of the race, blown transmission. And they're all in the van. No! This can't be happening. Nothing left to do but make a U-turn and head home. So, again, why, why, why would we put ourselves in that situation, but not only as racers, but as a group of people? And I've got a shirt that I, I don't think I should be wearing. And, you know, we get back to the, our facility, and an incredible thing happens. 
that explains a lot about why we race. And then I'm sitting there looking at my team of, you know, probably about 25 people. Some have come a long way. Broken down car, and up pulls the Suburban. And the doors open. And out come these little feet. And it's the kids from Casa Esperanza. Because we have told them that, hey, part of what we're going to do is we're going to race for you. Everything that you see going on, you might not, your, your little minds and hands and feet might not understand it, what we're actually trying to do to bring attention to what's going on at Casa Esperanza. And these little hands and feet come running around the corner and they sort of start grabbing onto us and saying, thank you. And we're going, thank you? We only want 69 miles, you know? And they go to the car and they start saying the name that is now echoed literally internationally around the world and that is Bochito, little bug. And they're telling him, and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe this is a little bit too much for us. Maybe we're in over our head. And, but what I hear these little kids saying is, it's okay, Bochito. Because the next race, we're going to do better. And I'm thinking, wow, here I am. You know, <laughs> poor Dennis, you know. So a year later, a monster comes, a giant. Not 880 miles that we have to go. We've got to go 1,273 miles from Ensenada all the way to La Paz, Mexico. And there's only one thing on my mind. You know what that is? Transmission, which... By this time, we, we got smart, got a spare transmission. <laughs> it was funny. We were sitting there broke down on the highway going, oh, well, hey, it was fun. And someone goes, hey, why don't you put your spare transmission in? And I'm thinking, we've got two crates of spare parts. That's it. That's We're, we're done. We're done. So we, we have a spare transmission, but 69 miles is stuck in my head, you know, and, yeah, and actually, to this day, you could ask any of the guys that have co-driven with me at the start of the race, when I hit mile markers 68 and three quarters, well, probably even more than that. When we get close to 69, I tell them, hold your breath. And they all go, what? I go, hold your breath. When I count three, hold your breath. I go, one, two, three. And they go, what was that about? I go, that was mile marker 69. They go, oh, okay. Because believe me, everybody knows about mile marker 69. So here I'm thinking, if we could just get past mile marker 69. And next thing I know, we're not at mile marker 69. We're at mile marker 1,265. We are 10 miles away from the finish line. We're in last place, but guess what? We're the only class 11 still racing. The closest class 11 to us is 500 miles north. We're the only guys running. We've got 
30 minutes left on the clock. But it's okay. We've only got 10, 8 to 10 miles to go. And as we go down Las Filas, all of a sudden my driver says, something's wrong. <laughs> we get down to the bottom of the hill. I just go, go, go. And he's, his kid's driving. I'm co-driving. I put my head out the window. There's no wheel. <laughs> We're dragging brake shoes through the dirt. <laughs> yeah, we almost made history. Why do we race? There we go. This is my safe zone. <laughs> Why do we race? You know, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible journey. Um, it's an incredible thing. We did get to the finish line. We were a little late. And a year later, we did basically the same race. Um, had a scary moment when the blip is not moving. And I'm like, here we go again. We're almost at the finish line. We've got an hour left to go. We're stuck. We're broke down. I don't know what's wrong. The car's not moving. And it starts all over again. We're not going to make it. But eventually we all stood there and watched little Bochito come around the corner and cross the finish line of checkered flags. And it was just an incredible moment because out of the 408 cars that started the race, we were car number 202 with 30 minutes left on the clock. And we were the last class 11 to cross the line officially on time. So we got second place. So it was nice. So why do I tell you these stories? You know, because some of the stories are of failure and some of these stories are of success. It's all part of racing. We struggle with a lot of different things when we race. Um, I struggle with the comp competitive aspect of it. You know, we're competing. We we want to win. We have sponsors. I can't go to my sponsors, you know. Well, you know, we, we, we're going to race. We want you to help us out. And, but winning's not important to us. We just want to go have fun. And they're going <laughs> to, well, we'll find somebody else to sponsor because we want somebody that wants to win. Um, Jasmine has, is, is my race hero. And although she's never been in the race car and probably never will, but she's, to me, she's my real hero, her and Sammy. And they're the directors of Mi Casa de Esperanza. And when I went to Sammy and Jasmine when we first started this program and said, you know, part of what we want to do as a race team is support Casa Esperanza through this. And, you know, their reaction was, well, yeah, I can kind of see that. O okay. Um, sure, Dennis, um, sounds good. And we got to a point where we had been going for a couple years and doing fundraisers and such, and we actually had a point where I was looking at, I'm spending six to $8,000 per race. And when we do a fundraiser, you know, we get maybe 1500 2000 So... I'm looking at the money side of it going, it's just not making any sense. And I call a meeting with Jasmine and the, her, her husband, Sammy. And at this point, well, excuse me, 
I told them, I think we, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe shutting down the program because I'm just not seeing it happen the way I envisioned it happen. And the room got real quiet. And Jasmine goes, you can't quit. Because, you see, you're looking at a, a figure, you're looking at something that you're trying to obtain. But it, it's much deeper than that. It's, it's what it's saying to the moms and the children. And Jasmine explains that, see, because when these moms leave Casa Esperanza, they have their own race that they have got to run. And Bochito, he's our, he's our stone, and we throw him at the giant Goliath, which is the desert. But we're the total underdog. We don't, all of the odds are against us. And Jasmine has said, it's, it's like the moms and their children. When they leave Casa Esperanza, all of the odds are against them to not make it. And Casa just struggles and works to sit, get these moms ready to go out and live their life with their children. So part of it is, yes, they, they look at Bochito and they can relate to this little car that comes back from the races battered and bruised and missing headlights and fenders. And there was a time when um, Jasmine was being interviewed and someone asked Jasmine, so what do you think of the car when it comes back and it's got a headlight drooping out or a fender's been knocked off? It's all dirty because it must, it must be quite the sight. And she goes, well, Bochita reminds me of the children. Because, see, when the children come here, they're dirty, they're bruised, and they're missing parts of their life. And I'm thinking, for me, that's so easy. When Bochita is done with the race, he's missing a fender, I just go to the junkyard, buy another one. You can't take a child and replace part of their life. We learned that through the adoption of our daughter. And some of you know Angie and seen her grow up. But there are parts of her life we have not been able to fix because they're missing. <coughs> so Bochito stands for a lot of things. He um, is the example in, in some ways. Um, I talked about winning. And you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 9.24, it's telling all of us that in a race, there's, there's only one person that's gonna get the prize. That's, in some cases, that could be, you know, a little bit of a harsh reality knowing that only one's going to get the prize. But we're told, you know what? Run as if you are that person that's going to get that prize. That means we've got to give it all we have. And also, our, our finish line 
It's not the line they paint in the street. It's not the banners and the flags that we drive through. Our finish line is way beyond that. I don't know where Bochito's finish line is, to tell you the truth, but I know it's out there somewhere. Eventually, that car will cross the finish line, and it will be over. The thing is, God's message of salvation, God's message of grace and love, will always continue. It will always be there. There is no finish line to that, and that's the beautiful thing. Yes, we have an earthly finish line, but there's a finish line that's in, in heaven that's much greater than that. Um, the name of our team, also Team H121. Does anybody might know what that stands for? A little bit louder? Yeah, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, and we need to think about that, whether we're here at church, we're at the store, wherever we go, we've got to realize that we have a cloud of witnesses as believers. Remove all that hinders. A lot of times we take on stuff, we get involved in stuff in our life, and we figure out that, you know what? This is not helping me. This is the hindrance, and we need to learn to remove these things so we can forge forward in God's plan. And be careful of the sin that so easily entangles So we can run the race with perseverance. Our life has its struggles. It has its, its issues and its problems. Same thing as when we race. Man, if we were following that pink line on that GPS, and all of a sudden you come to a point in the road, and the car stops. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You're tired. You're dirty. You look at your co-driver, you look at your co-driver, co-driver looks at you, and you realize there's no road. <laughs> it's a river, it's a stream, it's weeds, it's this, it's rocks, but there's no road. But the GPS says, oh yeah, there's a road, and you got to go through it. I don't want to go through it. You got to go. There's only one thing you can do. In life, a lot of times I think we get to maybe a roadblock or something where we're going, God, there's no, there's no road here. Oh, yes, there is. It's just not the road that you're looking for, but it's the road I have for you, and you need to go through it. You know, last night we talked about General um, Roberto Contreras, test pilot. And his glider, hold on tight, but loosely. You know, and I think that's something that's going to resonate with me for a long, long time. Is yeah, in our in our walk with Jesus, we need to hold on to that very tightly, but yet loosely, so we can feel Him working in our life. Let Him know, and so He lets us know that there are people that come into our life that we need to be able to let go just a little bit so we can have that interaction, we can have that time with them. And whether it's somebody that you're meeting at the store, church, for me, it was a, a, a bunch of kids and moms. And after so many years, God puts something in front of us and said, 
I want you to do this because it's going to do more than win races. It's going to do more than win a race. So this shirt, yeah, you know, I used to tell people, people used to ask, you know, hey, are you a race car driver? And I'd say, no, I'm not a race car driver. I'm just a guy that gets to drive a race car. But you know what? After six years, I think I can say that for myself and my team, we're a race team. We're race car drivers. And um, God has given us something very special. And we have Bochito. He's our little stone. And out there, yes, is the giant, is the Goliath. And to steal something from, from of all places, Facebook, <laughs> there's a saying that says, you know what? Everybody needs a Goliath to bring out the David within. Everybody, all of us need a giant to bring out the David that God has planted within us. And so that's my prayer for you, that yes, you find and confront that giant because there's a David in all of us. So why do we race? Yeah, we race to win. We race to cross that finish line but we race to make a difference. And, um, you know, I got going so long, I forgot about the photos <laughs> of the school project. And there they are. And um, this is a big task that Bochito was called to take on. And as I stood there one day at the field with Jasmine, there was nothing in front of us but trees and weeds. And Jasmine, for those who have seen Jasmine, she's only about this tall. And she sat there with her hands folded. And she said, this is it. I said, what's the, uh, yeah, what? This is where we want to build the school. And I want you to build it. You and Bochito. I said, Jasmine, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know where we're going to get the money. I don't know who's going to do it. She goes, but can it be done? Come on, Bochito. Let's do it. And I said, okay, Jasmine, we'll do it. And, uh, you know, one day I was at Casa Esperanza talking about wearing a shirt, you know, that you don't feel like you should have on. I was walking Casa Esperanza and this one little, the one little girl, they call her, uh, uh, Mama Chui, Chui, Chumama, Chumama, they call her Chumama. Her name is Marisol. And uh, I was walking, and she looks up, and she points, and she goes, Bochito. And I stopped, and I'm like, no, no, Bochito's not here. Bochito is in the shop. Bochito está en el taller, no está aquí. And she looked at me, and she goes, no, Bochito. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. I'm not Bochito. Bochito is the car. Bochito's the car. I'm just the guy that drives it. And then it dawned on me, the kids know Bochito's just a car. Bochito is not just the car. It's those that are 
in the car and pilot the car that work, that build walls and stucco and put on ceilings and build a school. That's Pochito. So we're almost there, folks. Jasmine looked at me the other day and she goes, oh, we're starting school in August. So it's, it's going to happen. So we're excited. Um, some of you have worked really hard on this project, been a part of it. So in a real sense, I could look at and say, Pochito, Pochito, Pochito. Or in some way, we're all Pochito. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, this, uh, this time to come and share, uh, to talk about more than just racing, but to talk about the race that all of us are to run with perseverance the race that you've called all of us to be a part of. Yes, we have our earthly finish line that's here. But our goal is to make it to that heavenly finish line. That's where our prize is. That's where our trophy is. Help us to strive in towards that and to honor your name as we race for you in this race that you have set before us. Knowing that only one crosses the finish line, but instill in us the spirit to be that person and to run hard to be that person to cross the finish line first. These things we pray, amen.